This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, offering a range of mortgage, affordable housing, refinancing, and construction financing options designed to serve the needs of its customers. More info at trustmark.com slash mortgage. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Ryder is a chartered financial analyst and also holds their Certificate Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. So what's going on with the stock market? Do Mississippians need to be concerned? You can ask Ryder your questions this morning about investments, retirement accounts, and other concerns. We'll also talk about the personal finance impact of a pandemic. So good morning, Ryder. Normally we start out with financial news in the news, but that's really going to be our <laughs> major topic that's, for that's today. That's basically it, right. Yeah. Uh, so if you would, could just give us a recap of what's been going on with uh, the stock market here in the U.S. over, I guess, the past week or so. Yeah, and, and so this is actually something that Nancy and I had mentioned before because kind of late January when news of this uh, coronavirus was first coming out, um, there was a little bit of selling and the stock market dipped, you know, a few percentage points. Um, just because, you know, I think one big thing that we said at the time was just that uh, there's a, just a lot of unknowns. We, we don't we don't know how big this is. We don't know how bad it will get. Um, and so that's those kind of unknowns that all that uncertainty, it allows people to kind of think of, oh, my gosh, what are the worst case scenarios I need to? And we're always, you know, we always say we kind of manage portfolios, you know, for the risk, the large things happen. So that's, you know, if, if you're revising your expectations of what is a really bad thing that can happen, you know, certainly a disease outbreak. Um, uh, looks pretty bad. Um, so that being said, uh, last Monday, I believe um, it's going been going on for a little over a week. Um, I mean, some very sharp selling. I believe the S and P five hundred went down as much as um, twelve or fourteen percent uh, last Thursday. Was the largest single day. I just have to mention this: is the largest single day point drop in the Dow. The Dow dropped over a thousand points. Um, uh, for anyone who keeps track of Dow points, which I urge urge all my listeners not to keep track of <laughs> Dow points. Uh, it's the percentage that matters. Um, of course, then. We had yesterday, you know, maybe what was the largest single day point increase. Um, again, uh, I urge people not to pay attention to the points. Um, yesterday, a lot of the indices were up around 4%. It's kind of, you know, again, it fell off a lot last week um, as, as it was kind of declared a pandemic, uh, which is just kind of a technical term for meaning that it is, an, um, you know, the disease has spread significantly in other countries. It does not appear to have been contained in a single country. Um, of course, you know, you can attach. It's a word that has a lot of really frightening connotations attached to it. I think um, I start thinking of zombies. I don't know what y'all start <laughs> thinking of. Uh, give us a call. Phone lines are open. Tell us what you think of. What movie comes to mind when you think pandemic? Um, but but that was the news that had a lot of selling. And there's just because there's just, just a lot of things underlying that could be happening. Uh, so it's, it's a case of, you know, nothing awful has happened yet, but I guess because investors don't like uncertainty, we don't know what's going to happen, and so that's making investors nervous. Absolutely. I mean, in the United States, we're still talking about... I, I, I don't know uh, you know, kind of numbers for the United States. I know this I could pro- 
probably pull up the CDC website here, but you know we're talking probably under a thousand cases, probably in the single digits of of deaths. Um, of course, one big issue that has come out recently that people are talking about is that uh, we don't have the testing capacity that a lot of other countries have. Uh, so we simply haven't done a lot of tests. So we don't know if a lot of people are infected. Um, that being said, you know it would you know it, it's come from what looks like it's come from China. Uh, and so we did have some travel restrictions in place. So that probably helped slow its reach uh, into the United States. But uh, global commerce has been continuing. And uh, so it has it has reached us. And um, there are some cases popping up. Um, so we're still talking about something that's very small. Um, but again, we just don't know how big it can get. And, and I think one of the particular concerns with this one, it's not that um, it's not that we're saying, oh, this is a lot of people who are going to die. I don't know. We, we just don't know. Uh, we w- with kind of with what's kind of a small sample size and maybe an untrustworthy sample size. Uh, we don't know what the mortality rates are. Uh, we don't know, uh, you know, kind of how long it 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 seems. It seems one particularly weird thing about this, as opposed to just a regular flu or a lot of communicable diseases, uh, is that it doesn't seem to show up. You don't. You seem to have. You can get the coronavirus um, and then for you know two weeks not show symptoms, but still be spreading the coronavirus. Uh, so that's that makes it just huge, hugely difficult to uh, to keep track of and to control. You know, uh, you usually like to say, okay, well, you know, once we identify people who have this disease or who have this illness, uh, we can you know quarantine them, we can get them treatment, and you know we can keep it from spreading. But if they have two weeks to walk around and sneeze on people. Uh, without you knowing, that's um, that's just that's a lot of people that can come into contact. And again, I'm not a public health expert. If we have one who wants to call in and talk, uh, that's great. But we also have medical shows that are probably covering this. So is this a certain sector of the stock market that seems to be getting hit worse? Or is this pretty much sort of not panic, but selling across all different types of, of uh, businesses and industries? It's fairly broad, but it's not necessarily consistent across sectors. And let me back up a little bit to kind of explain, you know, why is the stock market reacting to this? Um, There's a couple of things going on. One, if this gets to be big enough that it uh, affects consumer confidence in the United States, again, you know, it it sounds a little perverse to be talking about it right now, but our economy does depend on people getting out, buying things, shopping, buying cars, buying houses, things like that. And if people stop doing that in the United States, then our economy has a problem. So basically, we always look at what is going to affect consumer confidence. And if you're just sitting inside and not going to the mall, I mean, I haven't been to a mall in ages, but if you're just sitting inside and not shopping, or maybe, but maybe you're going to sit inside and just buy a ton of things on Amazon. So maybe it'll actually be good for the economy. I don't know. Um, So that's one issue is that if it affects U.S. consumer confidence, it directly affects our economy. The second issue is uh, supply chain interruption. This happened at a very weird time uh, in that it was Chinese New Year. So they kind of, you know, that's a very big holiday in China. So, you know, factories had already either shut down or had, you know, reduced capacity a lot. And then over that holiday is when uh, the travel restrictions within China started showing up and they started restricting, you know, kind of gatherings. And, you know, companies are not wanting to uh, uh, open up their factories again because, again, you know, if you 
bring all your workers in and one of them is sick and then all of a sudden your entire workforce is sick that's that's a really big problem so uh, production in China uh, is has not picked up like you would expect it to uh, they're still running it maybe like half capacity uh, as with some of the statistics that I saw recently and that means that uh, American businesses who rely on Chinese production or rely on China for any part of their supply chain uh, is they're going to have a hard time getting products. Um, I think you know Tim Cook, CEO of Apple, was saying, you know, people are wanting to buy iPhones, but they are not being produced uh, or at least as quickly right now. So uh, supply chains are uh, immense; they are complex and they are very long, and very often they cross through China. So that is an issue if you know people want to buy things, but they're just not able to. That can also affect the markets. So when there's this kind of massive sell-off, I guess that does open an opportunity for a group of investors who who may be willing to not be so spooked by the uncertainty. I mean, be, if they're selling, well, aren't right? Yeah. So if if people had. Um, so, for instance, folks who, you know, after, you know, the end of last week, if they were purchasing stocks, you know, they're, you know, if you were buying stocks anyway, if you're sticking to your plan, you know, you're you're young, you're putting money in the market just because you have a very long time horizon and, you know, you were buying uh, stocks on a regular basis, you know, buying last Friday uh, was a lot cheaper than buying two Fridays ago, for instance. Um, that being said, there are plenty of people with investments in the stock market who, aren't putting money away in the stock market anymore and are relying on their investments to fund uh, their retirement or fund their income in some way. Um, and so, you know, for those people, they may be wanting to reconsider how much they have in the stock market, kind of reevaluate, you know, do I have the appropriate allocation? Uh, because again, you know, you do invest in the stock market because you expect it to go up over the long term, but you've got to manage for the risk that things like this happen. And how you manage for the risk that things like this happen is having bond allocations, having cash allocations, having a variety of allocations that aren't going to be directly exposed to the stock market risk um, like this. Diversity is a key. We we talk Diversification, about that frequently. Diversification, yeah. Stick to the plan. Diversify. I mean, that's basically the answer to uh, almost everything. If you have a question for Ryder, you can also send us an email. It's money at mpbonline.org. We'll continue our discussion after the break. Why is it called a bear market? We'll tell you what Merriam-Webster has to say about that. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. The information presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. You're 
listening to Money Talks. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past Money Talks broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app, and you'll be able to listen on your iPhone or Android phone to all of the Think Radio shows on your schedule. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. So entomologists point to a proverb warning that it's not wise to sell the bear skin before one has caught the bear. Bear skin was shortened to bear. A bear became the name for a person who sold a borrowed stock with delivery in the future, hoping that the price would go down. So one definition of a bear market. Wow. We'll have a couple more for you throughout the hour. I don't know if I knew that definition, but it make that, that works really well. All right. Uh, so we're talking uh, about the stock market today, a little bit about how uh, maybe fears of the coronavirus and other things affect uh, the stock market. Um, and Ryder, earlier you mentioned that we are a global market now. Again, kind of maybe if you could go in a little bit of detail, what exactly does that mean and um, what what could it mean for how people should invest? Well, I mean, a global economy means that all our economies are interconnected. You know, we buy things from one country and sell them to another. You know, we are not just an isolated, you know, we can't just, you know, build up a wall around this country and expect things to keep going on just like they've been going, going on for. Um, you know, we can't isolate ourselves from the rest of the world. Um, you know, people travel all over the world uh, to do all sorts of business, to do all sorts of manufacturing, to deliver all sorts of goods all over the world. Um, and, you know, that's been a tremendously good thing for um, basically, you know, everyone over, you know, the past decades and decades as people get exposure to more opportunities, uh, you know, kind of global prosperity has absolutely uh, been increasing over the past decades. Um that being, you know, it's it's not it's not perfect. Before you call in and tell me that, um, but uh, and so that also means our our stock markets are kind of global stock markets. You know, large U.S. companies they get almost half of their revenue from overseas. So things happening overseas directly affect those companies and therefore directly affect our stock market. Um, also, they're interconnected in that you know information gleaned from one stock market. You know, if if something bad is going on in one country, you know it can spread to other countries, kind of regardless of what it is, be it a disease, be it uh, manufacturing problems, be it, you know, uh, them hitting some sort of productivity wall, you know, it, that means, oh, well, it's possible that that's going to happen in the next country. So we need to watch out for that. And so, again, you know, things happening in one stock market uh, may uh, may spill over to another stock market. Um, investors these days own stocks around the world. So, you know, if you're sitting here and you're like, oh, um, you know, my U.S. stocks are doing poorly. Uh, well, you know, I'm also going to sell some international stocks. I'm going to take a little off the table everywhere. Uh, then, you know, it means those things are interconnected. Um, you know, they're kind of they're they're more correlated than maybe they used to be. They're more correlated, certainly, than if they had totally different investors. Uh, they're more correlated than if they had totally different economies and unlinked economies. Uh, but they are all very linked now. We've got some open phone lines. If you have a question about how the stock market is performing this year or some personal finance questions, maybe about your investments or saving for retirement, maybe it's about your credit cards, any kind of personal finance question uh, that you might have this morning, we've got some open phone lines. So give us a call. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show. Send it to money at mpbonline.org. And I guess we talked about the global 
global marketplace. As you said before, you know, the slowdown maybe in, in productivity in China means some of the goods that normally Americans would buy uh, from China, you know, there's a problem there. But as I guess as you also were saying, too, even if things are going well here in the United States, we don't buy everything we make. We sell uh, items to people in other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. And so in Absolutely. Europe, if they're not shopping as much there, that affects uh, our, our, our our economy as well. Right, because they're not buying things from us. Uh, and, you know, if China isn't producing, then they're not selling things to us, which, you know, you know, you can say, oh, well, that's that surely that doesn't affect us. But like, how would your life be affected if you couldn't if you couldn't buy anything for six months? You know, you couldn't buy any new products. No, you know, hospitals couldn't get medical devices. The, I mean, these are real problems that are cropping up. Um, you know, you think, yeah, sure. I mean, I can do do without that. But no, they're an important part of everyone's supply chain. Uh, have you heard about how some of the markets around the world are doing maybe in London or Tokyo? They're down. Okay. So yep. similarly, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, and one thing that you sometimes see in these situations, kind of in you know global panics. Oh, I said panics. Uh oh. Um, is that the U.S. dollar is often regarded as a sort of safe haven to a lot of investors. Not necessarily the U.S. dollar, but U.S. Uh, government bonds, U.S. treasuries. Uh, and so and, and when investors around the world kind of start moving more money there, it increases the value of the U.S. dollar, uh, which for us, um, I mean, I guess it's nice to think, oh, we have a strong dollar. That means we can have more spending power overseas. But that means if you have international investments, then those international investments, you know, they're going down a little faster because your, you know, our currency that we hold them in is getting more valuable, uh, but their currency is getting less valuable. So if that makes sense, um, that's another effect that you see uh, in this sort of kind of people call it a flight to safety effect. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Again, we've got some open phone lines ready for your personal finance questions at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 7464 We do have a caller on the line, so let's say good morning to Gary, who has called in from Memphis. Good morning, Gary. You're on the air with us, so go ahead, please. Good morning. Uh, hey, it's a great show. I really enjoy listening to it. Thank you. Uh, I have a question for you. I am getting relatively close to retirement, about three years away. Um, I have uh, numerous uh, income sources when I retire. Uh, I'm retired uh, from the military, and I'm also reti- going to be retiring from my second career. Um, at this point, I'm still fairly aggressive. Uh, in my investment strategy in the stock market. And my reason for that is that uh, counting on between my military and my second job pension, I don't think I'm going to need necessarily drawing from my 401k and things immediately after retirement. So can I stay aggressive in that for a while longer or should I start getting more conservative at this point? Um, yeah, so that's a great point. Um, people often think, you know, hey, I'm getting older. I, I'm going to need to get more conservative. It's just a general rule. Um, but you pointed out something really important here in that you have you will have multiple sources of guaranteed income. So you have a military pension from the sound of it. You have a pension from your current uh, work, which you will be retiring, retiring from. And then you'll probably also have Social Security at some point. And so those three pieces, you know, if those make up most of what you need, then it means that or all of what you need or even more than what you need. Um, The more money that that replaces for you, the less important your 401k, your TSP, whatever it might be, is. 
is. And that means the more you can afford to, to, to be aggressive with that. Um, of course, it all just kind of depends on what you want to do with it. Um, you know, I would encourage you to be a little more conservative with it. Uh, I don't know exactly where you are with it, uh, just because you don't know exactly how your spending is going to change in the future. Uh, you don't know if you're going to need that to support, you know, uh, you know, maybe you'll move. Maybe you want to do a very large, expensive trip. Maybe you'll need, uh, if you don't have long-term care insurance or something like that, you know, what if you need to uh, pay for that out of pocket um, or, or any sort of large expenses, especially medical expenses like that. Um, that being said, you know, it's a very good point to make that all your pension, your social security, your military pension, all of that looks like a huge, very stable bond portion of your portfolio. And I would just compare that to what does your 401k look like? How big is that? Uh, does it really, you know, can you afford to let that grow? Uh, from the sound of it, yes, you can afford to let it grow probably a lot more than most folks because of all that guaranteed income. Okay, thank you very much. All right, so if the question were in this you know, climate, what should a Mississippi investor do? Uh, I think from past shows, I, I learned a little bit, not a whole lot, but you know, maybe it's a good idea to review your plan, go to whoever your mm-hmm. money advisor is and say, maybe look at what you are invested in and, and kind of figure out what your goals are mm-hmm. and sort of just reassess. Yes. I mean, especially if you haven't done, you know, kind of checked in on your portfolio recently. I mean, th- this is not really the ideal time to do it, but you should check in with your portfolio. Uh, just make sure, you know, is it where I thought it was going to be? You know, if I was expecting it to be 30% bonds, but due to how the markets change, it's now uh, 20% bonds. You know, that's a pretty big change, and you might want to kind of look at making that a little more conservative. Um, that being said, kind of what we always say is, you know, stick with the plan. Um, you know, and that comes up especially with folks who do depend on their portfolios for income. Uh, if you are depending on your portfolio for income, you should have a good amount of your portfolio in uh, bonds and cash, which are going to be more stable. Uh, The cash, hopefully super stable. The bonds will fluctuate with interest rates, will fluctuate with credit risk, uh, depending on what sort of bonds you have. Um, But again, you would expect those to be a little more stable and also to pay uh, out interest, which you can spend. Uh, so, yeah, checking in with your portfolio, I mean, that's fine to do it now. It would have been better to do it, you know, maybe a month or so ago before people started panicking. We'll continue our discussion on this year's stock market decline after the break. We have another a definition of a bear market. This one will come from Investopedia. That comes up next, so stay tuned. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Ryder is a chartered financial analyst and holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. 
So another definition of the bear market, uh, the phenomenon gets its name from the way in which a bear attacks its prey by swiping its paw downward. That's why markets with falling stock prices are called bear markets. And just like the bear market, the bull market is named after the way in which a bull attacks by thrusting its horns up into the air. How do you like that one? Well, we are getting we are getting pretty aggressive with these definitions. I don't. Is this really uh, MPB friendly? I didn't. I didn't. This is. Whew, we're getting graphic here, guys. So, if a bear and a bull had a fight, who would win? That's always interesting. There was a show on the Learning Channel years ago where they did computer simulations of things like that. You know, two ferocious animals, and they had uh, to see who would who would win. And it was interesting. I don't. And well, they might have had the bear versus the bull, but I don't remember who won. <laughs> well, you know, if we're talking about a uh, bear and bull in the stock market, there's a great saying that I always love about um, talking about folks who uh, bet on market declines or bet on individual, particularly individual stock declines, and it is that the market can stay irrational. Uh, longer than you can stay solvent. So, you know, you look at the market going up and you're like, this is irrational. It's bound to come down. So you make a bet that it's going to go down, but the market can stay irrational. The market can continue going up for a lot longer than you can keep money in your account to fund that bet. So um, I always kind of like that um, as a, you know, kind of a, a, a warning against even when, even when you just know it can't be true. Uh, this is Money Talks, and we've got some open phone lines at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 Next, let's say good morning to Sandy calling in from Oxford. Sandy, you're on the air with us. Go ahead, please. Yeah, here's my question. My husband and I are 14 and 16 years out of retirement. We're in our early 80s. We have a house paid off here in Oxford. We have a home in North Carolina that's got $35,000 left to to pay on it. Uh, we've reached the point where our outgo and our income are at pretty much the same point. There's no play money, and I like play money. So my question is this. Should I take the 35000 out of our investments, which before the, the illness uh, thing happened was about $380,000? Should I take that money out and pay the house off, or do the taxes on getting that money out um, – over uh, under which, or is it beneficial or uh, not right or in yeah. the uh for getting the house paid off. Uh, so if that money, the that 35000 that you would be pulling out of investments is all in IRAs, uh, I mean, it's going to depend on your tax rate. I, you know, I don't know where your top, you know, your top rate might not be that high. Um, you know, if your top rate were, you know, 15% and, you know, you had uh, several years left on this mortgage, then, you know, it, it's not going to make a big difference. And I think one, one big thing to consider with paying off a mortgage. Yes, there are numbers to calculate, and yes, those taxes by taking a withdrawal from the IRA are often way more than the interest. Um, but we're talking about not a huge balance left on it, um, and we're also talking about a big psychological benefit. Um, you know, that's going to be something that you aren't having to pay every month. I mean, you know, maintenance still happens, and as long as you're, you know, okay with that, um, you know, psychologically uh, getting that paid off, especially at your age, uh, might make a lot of sense. That being said. 
you know, I'd have to sit down with a spreadsheet to run the actual numbers. But very often, uh, withdrawing from an IRA is is a lot more expensive than um, than paying interest for a few more years. Okay. Okay. But so. but think of the psychological cost too. So yeah. you know, like you said, like you said, you 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 like having play money. That's a that's a benefit to your life uh, when you can feel good about having that extra money in your in your uh, in your budget. Yeah, I, I do like to play a little bit. We haven't been playing for the last couple mm-hmm. three years, and I need to play sometimes. Yeah. So. And 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 one thing I always caution uh, folks is that you know if you have. So in your case, if you have $35,000 in debt and $35,000 in assets and you take that, you have, then you have a net worth of zero. They cancel each other out. If you take that $35,000 asset and you pay off that $35,000 debt, your financial situation still looks the same from a net worth perspective. You still have a net worth of zero. However, you what, you don't have money to buy groceries anymore. Like, what are you, what are you going to do the next day? Um, so for, for a lot of folks, uh, you know, and, you know, this isn't exactly your situation, but taking taking a significant amount of your of your assets to pay off a debt is does not make a lot of sense from a much broader financial st- uh, planning standpoint. But well, those, yeah. are, those are the considerations. We have quite a bit of life insurance that we put into the will that what what debt was left on the house would be paid by the life insurance. I, I'm guessing you would tell me not to cash in the life insurance. Uh, well, I mean, if you don't have any debt and the life insurance is to pay off the debt, then I don't know why you would have the life insurance anymore. Well, the life insurance, we got, well, we got four kids. That's why we got four kids and nine grandchildren and we want to leave them something. So we, uh, but the life insurance, I know I, I lose some money there by taking it out before I die. Right. I mean, I would have to I, I mean, I'd have to see all of there's a, a lot of details going on there and I would have to see those. Uh, I mean, I, I would think that it, it would be a calculation of, you know, what is the cash value of those life insurance policies? What can that do for you now? Uh, and and how important is it uh, to leave money for the kids and grandkids? And 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 how impactful is that going to be for them? Um, like you said, uh, I think you said four kids and nine grandchildren, uh, you know, you know, at the end of splitting all that up, you know, how impactful is that going to be for them uh, is going to be a question, um, especially, you know, say it's in 10 years and, you know, we have inflation and, you know, a dollar just isn't worth a dollar anymore, um, as go the old phone commercials. Um, but, you know, that's you're bringing in a whole lot of other uh, things to consider. And I mean, I would recommend highly, highly recommend with these sort of questions, these sort of uh, complications, you sit down with a, uh, a financial advisor and, and, and kind of, who can look at that whole picture and, and really tell you what what the impact of these different decisions um, are. Well, I really appreciate your input. Thank you so much for taking the time, and have a good day. All right. You too. Sandy, thanks for your call. Zika, SARS, Ebola, there have been some, you know, global health scares here in the past 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, did the market go nutsy on all of these? And if so, what what, can, what have we learned from previous <laughs> things like this? Uh, so th- this is this is a, a very good question. And um, so l- last uh, last Thursday was the CFA Society of Mississippi is their annual forecast center. And what we did for this forecast center, we had a behavior 
economists come and speak. And it was a just fantastic time to have a behavioral economist come speak because he talks about you know, how, you know, what is the human element? What is the emotional element in investing? And how can we, how can we control that in order to be better investors? And so, of course, he knew that something like this would come up. So he looked at past um, epidemics, pandemics, things like that, and how did those affect the market? And um, his conclusion was... It could be anything. We really just don't know. I mean, you look two weeks, you look six months, you look a year out from from these things, and you know it could be up, it could be it could be down thirty percent or up fifty percent is what he said. And um, I think particular particularly on longer time scales, uh, you know, when you're looking at a year or so out, um, then you do it's that that return just starts to converge towards that average market return. Um, you know, short term, yeah, it introduces a lot of volatility, volatility introduces a lot of uncertainty. Um, and, you know, is there is worry that this could, um, you know, the virus could get uh, so prevalent and so bad that, like I mentioned uh, at, the, at the beginning of the show, that it it keeps people from going out and spending money and it leads to uh, economic decline. We go into a recession. That could be a, definitely a bad thing uh, for the market. But at this point, we really just don't know. So we've had some volatility. We're early in the year. Again, when you sort of maybe look at it from a little bit of a, a longer term perspective, in a, in a normal 12 months, a year, is there not usually some ups and downs, some things where people think, you know, chicken little, the, the, the world is coming to an end, and then things do tend to, as you say, maybe go back toward an average? Oh, yeah. People always uh, get real uh, stirred up about something. I mean, even just like, like I said, in January, people got kicked up about this, uh, about the coronavirus, but then it kind of went back to normal uh, for much of February. Um, so something that you see, you know, when we talk about volatility, uh, that is measured by the um, the VIX index, the volatility index, which is run by the Chicago Board of Options Exchange. Um, and it's just kind of a measure of what do people anticipate uh, future volatility being. And it's priced, it's, it's a complicated uh, uh, pricing. But essentially that has gone, that's, you know, more more than doubled uh, to its peak last week. Um, you know, it was uh, sitting around fourteen or fifteen, and then it um, or it actually tripled, uh, went above forty five, uh, and it's calmed down a little bit. It's in the thirties now. I want to say. Um, so these numbers kind of sound a little meaningless, but essentially what you see there is a sharp increase in expectations of future volatility uh, if it tripled. That's a sharp increase in expectations. And that's just uh, a case of people, you know, all this new information, people are all of a sudden revising their expectations. They're behaving in the market differently because their expectations have changed very suddenly. Um, and then, you know, it's kind of tamped back a little bit. Um, you know, as the less new, new information that comes out, I would expect it to tamp back down. But the more new information that comes out, uh, I would expect that to uh, remain heightened. Uh, what is a stock market bubble? Uh, man, I... I don't know. Y'all should have prepared me for that question. Um, a stock market bubble, I... <laughs> 
how should we do it? It's, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, I forget the, uh, forget the Supreme Court justice, but uh, I don't know how to define it, but I know it when I see it. Uh, and you kind of know it in hindsight. I think uh, people apply it broadly to any case when the stock market runs up. I think most appropriately, when the stock market runs up, uh, in a way that is disconnected from uh, traditional fundamental methods of valuing the stock market. So traditional fundamental methods of valuing the stock market is looking at what is what is a hard price, what is a hard value for this company in that what is what is it earning, what are its assets worth, and things like that. Um, and so what you saw in uh, 1999 was just people had way overhyped expectations. Companies were coming to market that had little to no earnings and they were getting insane prices. People were paying, you know, based on multiples of, you know, maybe multiples of sales, uh, maybe multiples of user base. You know, they were just they were just assigning numbers to these things. And in the stock market, uh, particularly in the in the tech and consumer discretionary sectors, got so disconnected from what is what are these companies actually making? Because they weren't actually making any money. And as it showed out over the short term, over the next few years, they continued to not make any money. Uh, so that was truly, truly a bubble when things got so disconnected. I think sometimes people refer to 2008 as a bubble just because people like to refer to things as a bubble after a sharp decline. They say, well, it was obviously disconnected from the value underlying. Um you know, one of the weird things about 2008 is, I mean, there were companies with good earnings, but those earnings maybe weren't sustainable. Um, and, you know, there were a lot of, you know, there was great growth in um, housing and in mortgage issuance, but that wasn't sustainable because the value wasn't there. You know, that mortgage wasn't worth what it was because the person paying it didn't have the ability to pay it, things like that. Um, so I know some people have said, oh, we're, you know, in a bubble right now, basically whenever the stock market's going up. Somebody will say it's a bubble. And then when it goes down, everyone will say, well, it must have been a bubble because it went down. Um, but guess what? Stocks go up. They can also go down. Uh, doesn't mean it's a bubble. Doesn't mean we need a special name for it. So I think uh, for folks who are worried that we are in a bubble right now, their main concern is not just has the stock market gone up too much because uh, underlying company earnings have gone up a lot, too. Um, we are more richly valued than maybe average, but it's, it's not not it's not crazy um nobody's really looking at it being like wow you know apple you know is just really trading so high off of its earnings apple is actually just making a ton of money um now there's the case to be made that these companies just won't be making a ton of money in in one year and two years and five years and so that would kind of indicate maybe it's an earn you know their earnings are inflated right now uh, those earnings aren't sustainable. Maybe those earnings are in a bubble, which leads to the stock market being in a bubble. But uh, really, it's a it's a made up term that we always uh, are very confident about in hindsight. We'll continue after the break with a third definition of what a bear market is. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. So stay tuned. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. 
You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. Thanks for listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Robert Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. So according to a CPA firm's website, the London Stock Exchange was established at the turn of the 17th century, and at its inception, there was a bulletin board on which traders posted offers to buy different stocks. When there was a high demand for stocks, the board was full of bulletins, commonly called bulls. When there was little demand, the board was bare. Therefore, a bull market is when the market is up, and a bear, spelled differently this time, though, market is when the market is down. I have to say that's a much more NPR-friendly definition than our last one. Uh, we didn't need to have a content warning for the kids there. Uh, I haven't. This, no, this is great. I haven't heard that. I've really, I've never really looked into the history of the terms bull and bear. I, we just, we just talk about bull and bear markets and being bullish or bearish. Uh, it's just such common parlance in the finance industry. Uh, but that one is kind of a fun definition. I like that. Yeah, I think I like this one. Uh, the, the, the second one with the swiping down and the that sort of. I feel that's a little contrived. Yeah. 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 I like this one then. Like so. people didn't go around looking at animals and be like, you know what? That's the animal. We're, you know, we, you could have called it the caribou market. Well, Ryder and Kevin, this is Liz. While uh, endlessly researching this, the the swipe and the bull's horns going up and down, that was what was most common. I found that more frequently. It's probably because it's graphic and grotesque. I mean, <laughs> you know, people like that sort of material. The uh, the bulletin board is way less exciting, but I find it very interesting. All uh, right. Uh, we have a caller on the line, so why don't we say good morning to Robert, called in from Meridian. Good morning, Robert. You're on the air with us. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Question. Um, with the market being down, you know, it's down all last week. We kind of got yes. in a panic mode, mm-hmm. took uh, some money out of the stock market for us, uh, like the S&P 500 to 400, your large cap, mid cap, and kind of uh-huh. stuck it in an interest-bearing account. Uh-huh. Okay, so I know that's not recommended, but you kind of hit the panic mode. So now <laughs> with things... Sounds like it. <laughs> things are... Uh, uh, good day yesterday, the day you just really don't know about. So would yeah. you recommend since I'm out of the, out of the market, um, just kind of stay out or just kind of get get back in? Because I'm kind of <laughs> hating that I got out of it, you know? Uh, my recommendation is to stick with the plan. Um, it, it, and it all depends on, you know, how much you should be invested in the stock market, really. I mean, that just depends on so much that is just doesn't have a thing to do with the stock market. It, how much you should be invested in the stock market has almost everything to do with what is your personal financial situation. If this is money that you think you will need in the next, say, five to ten years, then no, it should not be in the stock market. Leave it out of the stock market. Put it in a bond fund. Put it in you know, an interest-bearing account like you've done. Uh, focus on uh, capital preservation, stability, earning interest. Focus on those things if it is not money that you will need for the next five to ten years, uh, or even if you want to be more conservative, 15 years. Um, if this is money that you you won't need for a very long time um 
then you know I certainly don't advocate selling it one day and then having regrets and buying back the next day especially if that means that you lost some you know maybe there was some slippage there maybe it went up 4% in the intervening time um, you know if this is mon- but if this is money that you're not going to need for a very long time then the stock market is a good place for it to be um, and again, that doesn't depend on where the stock market is going because w- we don't know where the stock market is going. Um, that depends on your personal financial needs. That's why a financial plan is developed, you know, kind of with with knowledge of you know what we expect out of the stock market, but with a whole lot of analysis of your personal needs. And that's why we say stick with the plan, because that plan was made for you and for your money. Um, and that plan takes into account that, yeah, there is there's risk of things like this happening in the stock market. Um, I will just say a couple of things specific to selling out and trying to buy that back a few days later, uh, you might run into some issues if it is a mutual fund that has any restrictions on uh, trading within a 30-day window. Uh, you may run into some issues if uh, if they're you know with the uh, IRS with uh, the wash sale. It just makes calculating the cost basis when you do eventually sell it later a little more complicated. Uh, so those are the technical issues there. Um, I'm assuming you did not withdraw this money from, say, an IRA. Uh, If you did, then you have 60 days to get that back in. You can only do that once a year. That's called a 60-day rollover. Um, So those are some technical issues. Um, But as far as should I invest or should I not, that depends so much on your personal financial situation and pretty much none on what's going on in the market. All right, Robert, uh, thanks for your call. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. So, Ryder, we've got about uh, 20 seconds left. How low can it go? All the way. Uh, That is incredibly unlikely that the the Dow, God bless her, goes to zero. Um, I don't know. I mean, it... People have people have been predicting that the Dow is going to drop fifty percent ever since you know uh, probably the Dow came Dow was invented, <laughs> um, and people have also been predicting it's going to double or triple in that same time period. All right, so maybe just uh, take a deep breath and, and see what happens. Stick with the plan. All right, there you go. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners like you. To hear today's show or previous show, you can go to mpbonline.org/money talks or you can listen to the podcast just search for money talks on your favorite podcasting app our show is produced by liz gill and our call screener was java chapman so for Ryder taff i'm kevin farrell inviting you to join us every tuesday at nine for money talks on mpb think radio Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, offering a range of mortgage, affordable housing, refinancing, and construction financing options designed to serve the needs of its customers. More info at Trustmark.com slash mortgage. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 